CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, we are following major new developments out of Boeing. The head of the company's commercial airplanes unit is out. We'll bring you all the late-breaking details, plus earnings alerts on Snap, Chipotle, Texas Instruments, all three stocks on the move after reporting results. We'll break down all the big headlines. And Biogen posting its best day in 20 years after its Alzheimer drug shows new promise. More on this breakthrough breakout. But we begin with the breaking news on Nike. The company's CEO, Mark Parker, is stepping down. Parker will be replaced by Nike board member and ServiceNow CEO John Donahoe. The changes take place uh, in the new year. Parker will become Nike's executive chairman. We just heard from Parker exclusively on the closing bell. We've spent a lot of time over many months working on uh, succession planning. So this is, uh, this is not something that happens in a matter of weeks. Uh, so it's really unrelated to Oregon Project or any other issues. This is really about me and the board really wanting to make uh, the, you know, build on the momentum that we've got, you know, add the horsepower, accelerate against our strategy, and do it while I'm here and really in a position to lean in and uh, make this as successful as possible. Parker's departure comes the same day Under Armour CEO Kevin Plank announced that he is leaving his post in the new year as well. So two big sporting stocks, both announcing major leadership changes. Time to lace up and buy, or do you Uh-oh. sit on the uh, sidelines? Uh-huh. <laughs> did you really say that? Yeah. I just did. Did you, did you did. Do you have ears? No, I do. I mean, it, <laughs> okay, it, it hurt my it. ears. <laughs> that, I mean, you're so much smarter than it. Time to lace up and buy. Well, based on this, I don't think this is a stock. In my opinion, listen... Mr. Donahoe coming in, he's, he's been on the board of Nike for a while. I think it would be somewhat seamless in that. There was a New York Times article on October 1st that was not particularly flattering to the current CEO. Maybe that had something to do with it. I don't know. This is what I do know. Although Nike trades at a very high multiple, 27 times next year's earnings, they seem impervious to whatever's going on in China because that China growth last quarter was pretty outstanding. So despite valuation, despite this headline, I still think the stock can go higher from here. This is interesting because when the headline crossed, I thought, Nike, I would think that it would trade off mm-hmm. on this news. And here it is trading higher well, by a percent. I think Donnie is a really interesting choice. When you think about where Nike is and some of the things that have gotten investors excited about the stock and why it commands the multiple that it does, I mean, he spent six, seven, eight years at eBay presiding over a marketplace that did Donahoe, which is, you know, um, which is, a, a, you know, it's something that Nike he's pushing way into this direct-to-consumer thing is real for them. And then when you think about his tech background the last few years um, at ServiceNow. So I, I think that investors should feel pretty decent about this. And the stock is basically unchanged or up a little bit right now. Um, but I think the guy's point that this is a stock trading at all-time highs is trading at a very high multiple. And so they need to continue to do some things and not have those adverse effects that we see a lot of other consumer brands right now having with global trade and the strong dollar and all that sort of stuff. Right, they've done a good I'm navigating that, but I kind of agree with you. When you're a high flyer like this one, when your multiple's really high, anything that can sort of, you know, you just move the momentum a little bit would have an outsized reaction, right, as the multiple would come down. So uh, I think it's great. I just, uh, it, the surprise, I guess, of it would make me actually a little bit concerned 
but I wouldn't I wouldn't be a seller on this. But I do think it's there's a just a little bit level of additional risk here that wasn't here. Yesterday, Early, yes, or right. hours ago. So Nike's right. trading. A guy alluded to this. Nike's trading at 27 times EBITDA right now. Seven-year average is 20 times. So I agree with with you. I, I agree with everyone. I think you have to step back a little bit on Nike. There was a premium for the CEO they had. Now, if you look at the uh, Under Armour performance, which is underperformed, that should be more bullish to me. So you might see guys switching out of Nike, buying Under Armour on this, if there is a pairs trade to be had in the space. Well, that leads me to my next question, which is actually a two-part question. Oh, no. So you can follow along with me, Guy, and bear with me. All right. If, I, if we played a game of Would You Rather yesterday, right. UAA versus Nike, which would you choose? And does that change when I pose the question to you today? So if we played the game yesterday, yes. what would I choose? What, what would you So this is a two-part question. Exactly. So yes. if I'm being honest, which I uh-huh. always, as you know, I would have said Nike without question. Uh-huh. I mean, Nike still has growth. Under Armour seems to have lost their way. This is everything I would have said yesterday. So, Mel, if you're forcing me to play the game on this Monday, October 21st, Nike. But now, on October 22nd, <laughs> things might be different. So Not today, Nike. <laughs> on Tuesday, October 22nd, what would you say? I think there can be, and, and respectfully to Kevin Plank, who got very upset at us years ago when we asked. A legit question, you know, you found the company, done an amazing job. Are you the right person to take it forward? A re- relatively benign, legit question. I understand why you get upset, but I think this change in management could be the relief rally that Under Armour's been waiting for for quite some time. So playing it today on Tuesday, October 22nd, game changes like that. So that's... It's Under Armour. That's, that's, that's a great... I, 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 mean, okay, I, I think you're trying to be nice to Mr. Plank. I mean, listen, he made a phenomenal alternative to what was a duopoly in this kind of apparel uh, shoe thing or whatever, but it's done. It's over. The minute that Steph goes to Nike, and who am I talking about, Mel? Curry. Steph, Steph yeah. Curry. Wow. This thing <laughs> is done. It's over. Put a fork in it. And so putting a lieutenant in charge is not going to be the thing that kind of reinvigorates their growth. And I'll just say this about Nike. Last, last September, or this last month, Stock broke out above 90. It's held that. It's going to where? 100. Because that's your thesis. And, yeah, I mean, just it will. And then, I mean, listen, I think that you know, I'm going to look at uh, you with your levels. 90 is the level. It breaks there. You don't own it anymore. Yeah, I, I, I hear you on the levels. I just think the macro, and that might be the case, because a lot of times technicals are, already have dissolved every other fundamental reason why the stock should be moving. So everything's in the chart anyway. So I don't disagree with you, but the headline risk right now is is favors the would you rather of the Under Armour. I'd rather be a buyer of that for the reasons Guy stated versus being a buyer of Nike at this level short term. Well, it's more of a turnaround story, and the guy who's now the CEO, Patrick, or will take over as CEO, Patrick Frisk, he's been, he was brought on to draw up a strategic plan, has been working with Kevin Plank for a number of years since he was brought on in the company, and so there is an argument to be made that he is a continuation of that turnaround. Right. Maybe the turnaround is in place enough for Plank to step aside and, and let him take over. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. Uh, if, I, if you were to ask me to have played the game, I would have said oh, Nike yes. and Nike for both days. Okay. Just because sort of an object in motion with the, the momentum. momentum that they have versus one without it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, just, I wouldn't be surprised if several years from now we see the return of Kevin Plank at Under Armour. A la Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz. That would be something. That would be Kevin something. Plank yeah. at Nike. Not, not, that not, would have been a surprise. Yeah. 
<laughs> now, I, can, can I ask you a quick okay, I don't want to yeah, ask you a so, question, but what is it? Is it an 800-pound gorilla? Is that the, or the elephant in the room? It's a very, very large the object the that the obvious that no one's talking about. The, the, the 800-pound gorilla is the big... Oh, okay, yeah. so the, whatever, whatever gorilla or they, elephant, I'm not sure. Ignore. But it seems interesting that on the same day, within hours yes. of each other, yeah. the CEOs of two right. of the premier are stepping down. Is yes. there something... But, see, I don't believe in coincidence. There ain't no coincidence. I was waiting for somebody yeah. to bring this up, and I was well, going to bring it up. up. Well, yeah, so does yeah. this mean, does, so are you saying that you think that this could be a top mm. in this space? Well, what, it could, not, not necessarily a top, but is there something out there that both of them see that the rest of us aren't paying attention to? I don't know. It's got something to do with the China trade deal. I have no idea, but it seems a little odd to me I mean, that within eight hours of each other, these two guys are ahead. I would, that would be my initial reaction, yes, Melissa. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is kind of kooky when you when you it is. when you saw that headline. It was so silly. You guys had an interview on with Kevin Plank earlier, and I thought it was. Does, did everyone know about this? Was this just a was it and a then Mark thing? Pops on. But the but the Parker headline was extremely shocking on the same day. It makes you scratch your head, and I, I don't believe in coincidences either. Yeah. Um, the whole other part of the story is ServiceNow losing its CEO. ServiceNow is trading lower in the after-hour session, by the way. We'll cover that angle of the story a little bit later on in the show. Um, and by the way, we will hear from the incoming Nike CEO and outgoing ServiceNow CEO, speaking of, John Donahoe, tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time on Mad Money. Up next, Snap, Chipotle, Texas Instruments, all on the move after reporting results. We'll break down all the big headlines. We're live in Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Chipotle and Snap on the move, both reporting earnings after the bell. We've got full team coverage. Josh Lipton's all over Snap's earnings call, but we begin with Chipotle. Kate Rogers got the details back at headquarters. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Well, Chipotle out with a very strong Q3, beating on metrics across the board. Same store sales increasing by 11%, surpassing expectations from analysts for a 9.3% increase for the third quarter. This included 7.5% transaction growth. Digital, of course, has always been a big focus area for Chipotle. Take a listen to CEO Brian Nickel. This quarter, digital sales grew 88% year-over-year to $257 million and represented 18.3% of sales during the seasonally slower summer quarter for digital. And we're knocking on the door of digital becoming a billion-dollar business. The company's loyalty program, Chipotle Rewards, now has 7 million enrolled members. And Nichols said the company is really just starting to scratch the surface of leveraging all of that customer data. Chipotle said it could open slightly fewer restaurants than expected uh, this year as it seeks more locations that can accommodate what it calls Chipotle lanes. Those are drive through lanes for digital orders that are placed ahead of time. They're resonating really well with customers. It says it'll have about 60 lanes open this year and that some of its 2019 openings could shift into early 2020 because these locations do have have a longer construction time. Nickel also said that carne asada is performing well in stores, receiving positive customer feedback, and added that Chipotle is testing queso blanco in several markets, but they're not rushing to add any menu items. They really want to get these things right. Brian Nickel will sit down with us exclusively on the exchange tomorrow at 1 p.m. ET to recap the quarter and much more. Melissa, back over to you. But effectively, Kate, in terms of their guidance, what they guided to is comp store sales at the high end of the previous range, correct? So they're, yeah. not, they're not raising anything. 
thing. No, no. Yeah. Everything was basically right in line, but they sounded very positive and upbeat. And, you know, there was some confusion around the store openings. Basically, they're saying that they'll just shift some of them into 2020 because those Chipotle stores will take a bit longer. So really kind of reiterating the guidance that was already there. All right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers back at headquarters. Is reiterating guidance enough for a stock that has almost doubled for the past year? Probably not, but I don't think this move to the downside is all that bad. And, I, you know, listen, I'm not going to pretend I've been on this CMG story because I have not. I mean, this has defied logic. But then if you look at it and say, this is one, you went to the Harvard. I mean, they're going to write about this in Harvard Business Review. The Harvard Business I mean, yeah. what a great turn. I mean, they've really turned it around in a short period of time. Now they have probably, I don't know, 30% EPS growth does trade at a huge multiple. The only knock in this quarter, I think, is what you mentioned, and maybe operating margin slight miss. But I got to tell you, if they can't sell the stock off on the back of this quarter with the inline, to your point, the stock is going to go significantly higher again. Well, I think expectations were really high going in, yeah. and maybe it was sort of a buy the rumor, sell the news, because they started selling it before the actual news came out. It was right. down 20 bucks today. But it's run up $100, right? And so... I feel like it was priced for perfection. They delivered near perfection. I mean, there was only the slightest flaws in that. Um, it's just, for me, too expensive to own. I, have, I would have said that $200 ago. Everyone who's reported in this space, Domino's, McDonald's, Darden, everyone had trouble with comp sales. But when you look at this stock, it's been the outperformer. I love when digital sales are up. That was what made me buy Domino's. I love McDonald's when they work on digital sales. I love it, but not Other enough. Other people don't love it, though, when they're investing in digital sales for the future. So it's true. It, 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 there is a capital expense to so this whole element of growth, but you need to invest in the winners. So I think you wait till the stock pulls back a little bit, and I'd be a buyer on some weakness. It has to pull back more, more so than it has and already, McDonald's? obviously. Nothing. It has. McDonald's? McDonald's, I think, is a buying opportunity because McDonald's is a, is, is a staple. It's a safety bet. And when the market comes in, McDonald's usually goes up. I think you're getting a gift at McDonald's at this point. All right, let's move on. Take a look at Snap. That stock lower after reporting results. Let's get to Josh Lipton with the details. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, just for a quick take from the street, I checked in with Aaron Kessler of Raymond James, has a hold on the name. Um, his quick take on the results. Kessler's saying on revenue, fairly solid growth driven by North America. Europe, though, he emphasized, did decelerate. U.S. and Europe, he would characterize as a bit disappointing on user growth. Just given, he said, the strength we saw from Snap back in Q2. Guidance, um, he would describe as relatively in line with estimates. CEO Evan Spiegel on the call, which really just started here, saying 210 daily active users. That's up 13% year over year. There was a clear path to profitability, he says. Talked about engagement as well. Says each daily active user opening Snapchat about 30 times a day on average. And finally, investment areas, he would call out scaling content, he says, and AR platforms. Melissa, back to you. Josh, thanks. Josh Lipton in San Francisco. Snap, Dan. You know, really interesting. Obviously, we've spent a lot of time this year talking about these tech companies that have been very disruptive, that come to the public markets, losing money. This is a company since its IPO in 2017 has been losing money. They're going to do a billion seven in sales this year, obviously growing, growing at a pretty good clip. But on a justice basis, they're going to lose $300 million in net income. On a gap basis, a billion. The stock is up 150% on the year. To me, you know, with that sort of user growth that they have, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. It comes down to possibly the scarcity value. It comes down to horrible sentiment last year, horrible stock performance. And maybe this company has turned things around, focused a little bit more on Android. But again, $19 billion market cap, they're losing money, and everything else that's losing money in disruptive tech is getting smeared. 
You're welcome. Been, I bought it right before. I did the same thing right I did. Right before the close. Right before the close. I did the same thing I did on Netflix. I, I, and I felt terrible about the Netflix trade immediately. And then I felt great after 4 o'clock. I don't feel so great with the stock down 3%. But I think I'm okay because the stock did sell off 26% since September. Snap, that is. So I think you're getting a little bit of positioning. The street got incredibly bullish as of late, and I think you're going to see a bunch of analysts protect the name tomorrow, so I'm going to stay in the trade. Yeah, Guy? I think it has room to 12 and a half. I mean, I hear what Steve is saying. I also hear what Dan's saying. You, did, you don't have the active user growth that you need, I think, to justify the valuation. And yes, it has sold off significantly since the middle of August or so. I still think there's further room to downside. And fourth quarter revenue guidance was a bit disappointing in my book. And this, the thing that's interesting to me, if this became an IPO, we're trying to be an IPO today, uh-huh. right? I don't know that it would have this valuation. It would seem to me like that really wouldn't fly. So I don't know why. I still don't know why. Well, it's still lower than its own IPO price. So it's still being valued lower than when it originally came out. And I think the market has done a good job. But I think Dan brings up an important point, the scarcity value of it. Then you have the opportunities internationally in India. You have ad dollars. So I think it's the guide that really hit it because it beat it on every other metric. So whether or not these are the right numbers or these are the numbers to grow, they beat estimates. Usually you see a stock run when they beat. You're not seeing that now. It's all about the guide to me. All right. Let's uh, round out this earnings trifecta. Texas Instruments plunging after hours following its earnings report. Eric Chammy's back at headquarters to break the results down. Eric. Melissa, that's right. The stock down more than 9% in extended trading, but off its worst levels of the after-hours session. The chipmaker missed on sales, calling out particular weakness in communication equipment as total revenues decreased 11% versus last year. Another big reason for the drop is weak guidance for the next quarter. Texas Instruments now forecasting EPS of $0.91 cents to $1.09 for the fourth quarter. Analysts had been expecting $1.28. Interestingly, interestingly, the weak guidance comes after some recent encouraging signs of growth. The company just raised its dividend by 17% in September, and data earlier this month showed PC shipments rose for the second quarter in a row. Texas Instruments' downbeat outlook weighing on shares of other chip names, Intel, AMD, Micron, and NVIDIA. And something to note, according to Bespoke, the last time Texas Instruments opened down more than 8% in reaction to earnings, October 2008. Wow. Eric, thank you. Eric Chami. Uh, you guys over here on this side of the desk were saying this is a very important earnings release. I think it's hugely important. I mean, again... I'm shocked that Texas Instruments was trading north of 130 with a 24 forward multiple with probably, I don't know, 9% EPS growth or so in this environment with so many unknowns. This guidance is not, I'm surprised it's not down more than it is right now. It should be a lot lower. It's still expensive. It's actually might, you can make an argument now that it might be more expensive now than it was two hours ago. So, again, I, I think Texan is too rich. I think this could be a bellwether name going forward. I think today the market-wise was a really weird day, and this just adds to the weirdness. Yeah, I would just say that you know I know investors, uh, especially ones who are tracking cyclical tech, were very focused on this name for the better part of 2019. The management was giving guidance about where they thought they were in the cycle. I think a, a quarter or so ago, they thought they were like 
the you know three fifths through uh, you know the down cycle. So that's why the stock broke out last quarter in July when they gave uh, guidance that you and I were sitting on the desk then saying why is it up seven percent because the guidance wasn't that good. The guidance they gave for Q4 from 128 consensus down to a buck at the midpoint is really bad. And if it comes in below that, the stock's going to be much lower. Like you yeah. say, it's going to be back you know towards 100. Or I mean, we're seeing the sentiment um, spill over onto the rest of the semi space. SMH, by the way, the ETF that tracks the semiconductor space, down almost 3% of the after-hour session. It was already just a couple bucks shy from its 52-week right. but, but how much of this really is, with, with headline, about trade woes? How much of this really is about backward-looking concerns, about customers cutting orders based on what they're seeing or the lack of clarity going forward? This was above all its moving averages. It just pierced all of them in one single stroke. It was up 36%. You're saying it was just momentum? No, I'm saying that I wonder how much of this going forward, if we're looking at a terrible story, backward looking, Uh but if the trade wars start to subside and you get a little more clarity, a little more confidence, is it more of an opportunity going forward to buy a discounted stock versus something else? Uh How far do we extrapolate? I think we extrapolate. In terms of technology. Yeah, I do. For one, I mean, for no other reason than the run has been, you know, it's, it's gigantic, right? And so... We often see a lot of times somebody misses, everybody trades down on it. Someone else misses, everybody again trades down on it, even though half that news has been out there already. I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen. What is the extrapolation? Is there an extrapolation beyond semis? Beyond semis? I mean, I don't know. Does this have... Does have effect on Apple. I mean, it, autos, it, industrial autos. tech. Right. End, I mean, it's not just industrials this week, which we're going to hear from Caterpillar Roper. Did Texas Listen, here's the thing. Just back to your point about, you know, listen, we saw a lot of uh, ordering ahead of tariffs, that sort of thing earlier in the Probably, year, you know, right. that sort of thing. So, and listen, that could be one of the so reasons why it got to where we were. And those results weren't even that good. So here's the thing. If they're wrong on where they were in the cycle and we see a sputter here and then a downturn, then these stocks are all way too expensive. And I think if you look at Intel, which is stuck in the mud in like the low 50s, high 40s, low 50s, all year long. Right. The beauty of these things, though, Dan, is they trade as a group and they trade as uh, one goes up, they all go up, one goes down, Not they really. all go down. I mean, so if a- we see a headline that's positive, yeah. this, this down 10% in Texan will be bought really quickly, and you could be dead right on all your fundamental analysis, but it doesn't matter. Up next, what is next for ServiceNow after the company's CEO says he is leaving for Nike? We'll get a top tech analyst's take on the big shakeup. And later, major new developments out of Boeing. The head of the company's commercial airplanes unit is out. We'll bring you the latest when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Recapping the big news we brought you at the top of the hour, Nike CEO Mark Parker is stepping down in the new year. He'll be replaced by ServiceNow CEO John Donahoe. We're going to hear from Donahoe tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern time on Mad Money. Check out, though, in the meantime, the reaction and shares of ServiceNow. That stock down 8% right now off the after-hour session lows. Let's bring in Jared Weisfeld, Managing Director and Tech Sector Specialist at Jefferies. Jared, great to have you. Welcome to Fast Money. Thank you. So is this drop in the stock warranted in service now? So from investors that I've spoken with, I think the biggest, the biggest reaction has been just a sudden shock. This was just not anticipated. You've had a lot of turnover in the C-suite over the last three to four months. The CFO stepped down and is going to a startup company called Snowflake in the private sector. And Donahoe was just recently appointed. So I think investors are just taken aback that we've seen such turnover in such a short amount of time. 
Uh, is Bill McDermott, uh, the former co-CEO of SAP, is he the right guy? Can he, can he sort of fill this management gap? Yeah, so they're bringing in an incredible leader. He did such a phenomenal job at SAP. So I think longer-term shareholders are definitely uh, of a positive view in terms of who they are bringing in. But I think it's just a more of better understanding than near-term disruption to the market because it's just a, a complete shock given that Donahoe has been in front of investors for such a long period of, for such a short period of time and has really built up his credibility. So to see something happen like this so quickly is uh, it's just surprising. Jared, what's your take? ServiceNow down 25% from the summer all-time yeah. highs here. I mean, yeah. the whole space seems to be really under pressure For here. Sure. Um, the valuations, really rich. They get richer as they go down. This is a $40 billion market cap company trading at 12 times sales. Yeah. What's your take on what's going on in the space right now? For sure. So the move in ServiceNow has not been idiosyncratic to now. You've seen, the, to, you, to your point, the entire space has had a downdraft over the last four to six weeks. And investors are very uh, mindful of what happened in Q4 of last year when the entire software complex, the IGV ETF, which tracks the software ETF, was down 22%. This year's a little bit different because IGV is only down about 5% from highs because you've seen large market constituents such as Microsoft and Oracle really hold up. Microsoft was green for the month of September. It really outperformed the broader market. So parallels to Q4 2018 were under the surface. You're starting to see some of these high-growth names that had just stratospheric valuations in terms of EV to revenue multiples of 20 to 25 times, not PE multiples. So I think a lot of these names are growing into their valuations, and it's just been a lot of pain. So I think investors that I speak with are, are generally cautious in terms of thinking about how to underwrite risk for names that are just trading at you know, fairly crazy valuations. Jared, when we see software and we see hardware and we see all tech as a whole yeah. trading down and trading weak, uh, to your point, if we do see a macro headline, does that rally the entire space? Which, which, yeah. what, what does it rally the most? Where, where is, is it software? What, what rallies the most sure. off that positive headline? So if you see a positive development in terms of anything that happens with uh, Trump and Xi and any kind of trade resolution, SMH will definitely outperform to the upside. So I know we were talking about this earlier. As you think about just SMH and the pressure that's going to be under tomorrow with Texan, which is a bellwether for the space, on their conference call, they're talking about automotive and industrial really impacting their business. And that's also a function of trade tensions that are that are impacting. So that's it's somewhat backwards looking. So to your point, you'll see a rally in the SMH and that will outperform IGV. But I think that's a really important point in terms of the interplay between SMH and IGV. Generally, when SMH is outperforming, IGV is underperforming. Over the last three to four weeks, you've seen this rotation out of IGV into SMH as cyclicals and values have started to outperform. Uh, but now tomorrow is going to be really interesting because all of tech looks like it's, it could be for sale yeah. in terms of given what's going on with ServiceNow and with Texas Instruments. And, and one last question. What, what part of technology looks to you to be the most stable yeah. valuation-wise considering this the cloud that's hang, overhanging software, sure. uh, regulatory over the likes of Facebook, Texan warning, I mean... Absolutely. So within semis, I think there's a really interesting dichotomy because you're seeing the likes of Texas Instruments obviously have a fairly negative reaction after hours. They're adding 15% down sequentially from a revenue perspective and shares are, are under pressure. But within semis, you're, you saw Taiwan Semi last week put up really strong numbers. Teradyne just 20 minutes ago put up really strong numbers. The stock's up 6%. So there are beats and raises, and those beats and raises are really isolated to Apple supply chain because uh, Apple's doing fairly well right now in terms of the new iPhone unit sales and anything related to Huawei. Huawei's actually doing fairly well in terms of 5G handset sell-through within right. China. So if you're levered to 5G deployments, if you're levered to Apple, you're levered to new technologies such as AI, you're actually outperforming right now. Jared, great to have you. Thank you so much. Appreciate back. it. Jared Weisfeld Thanks. of Jefferies. Guy. 
What's the level in service? Now, first of all, the stock was down today, apparently on no news that I saw, down 5%. So it's interesting yeah. that somebody had a whiff of this, down another 8.5%. So what's the level you get in? Well, first of all, it is a pretty extensive valuation, but the stock is down from, I think, 300 and change since early this year. If you go back and look, September of 2018, topped out around 203 or so. So past resistance becomes support. 203 is right in the crosshairs. So it probably trades there tomorrow. All right. Coming up, big changes coming to Boeing as the company faces more fallout from its 737 MAX planes. We've got the latest detail. Plus, Biogen having its best day in 20 years. We'll tell you what is behind this big surge and what it could mean for the drug space. Stay with us. Fast Money will be back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're following a major developing story out of Boeing, the company naming a new head of its commercial airplanes division. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with all the details. Phil. Melissa, we've said for some time that pressure has been building on Boeing's leadership as well as the Boeing board of directors to hold somebody accountable, to show that it's taking actions in terms of making changes that will send a message that the company is determined to get the 737 MAX resolved and back on track. Well, Kevin McAllister, who has run the Boeing commercial airplane division since late in 2016, he's out. Effective immediately, he's being replaced by Stan Deal. Stan Deal is a 33-year veteran of Boeing uh, with a number of positions within the commercial airplane division, most notably on the sales end of that division, particularly over in Asia and in China. As you take a look at shares of Boeing, keep in mind that this is a company that not only is wrestling with, A, getting this plane recertified back in service, but also convincing its customers that it can ramp up production when it does return to service and start delivering the MAX at a faster rate next year. That's going to be the challenge for Stan Deal. Don't forget, tomorrow morning before the bell, we'll get Boeing's Q3 numbers. The numbers are not going to be as much of the focus for investors as will the comments of CEO Dennis Mullenberg. When he's talking with analysts, this will be the first time we've had a chance to hear from him since he was removed as chairman of the company and also since the documents that came out last Friday, which had a lot of people in Washington, D.C. asking, What's exactly, what exactly is going on with this company? How forthright has it been in sharing information? We've talked about that extensively over the last couple of days, Melissa, but you can bet those questions will be coming up tomorrow morning. All right. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Guy, on our conference call today, you brought up Boeing as something to watch. Is it because of the good price action that we saw? It was a decent price action today. I mean, maybe it's just people clearing up short positions ahead of We're going to know a lot more in about 14 hours, 15 hours from now. But I'll say it again. I don't see... You have no edge going into earnings tomorrow, in my opinion. I mean, we, we can make an argument about free cash flow, valuation, the fact that maybe January regulators in Europe are going to let the 737 Maxes fly again, all those things. Wait and hear what they have to say tomorrow before you pull the trigger. Again, I understand the valuation argument. It's compelling. But I think there's too much headline risk out there. I would continue to wait. I agree on the headline risk. But yesterday we learned that the dividend is staying where it's, where it's at. Maybe that alleviates some of the cash flow worries or problems that have entered the scene as possible headwinds. And it gets back to what I've been thinking and feeling. This stock, if it was any other stock, should be down a lot more than it is. And it gets back to that name, that that word, duopoly. So there's a certain innate value in this. Granted, the headline risk is atrocious. This is a terrible situation on any level. But the levels that the stock has been able to hold 
have been impressive to me. You're making the point just yesterday, this were any other company that had a product out there that killed hundreds of people. Yeah. The stock wouldn't be up where it is. So, so to, then that's the point Steve's making right here, yeah. and I agree with that. One, one thing that's really interesting is that you know CEOs who say the buck stops with them. It's interesting that we see this shuffling of some of the deck chairs here. Um, you know, thinking back to Wells Fargo, Mellon, you brought Wells Fargo up as a crisis management situation a few years back. The day we were on set, the day that CEO John Stump resigned, yeah. or, or uh, yeah, and then they brought in Tim one of Sloan. his lieutenants, Tim right. Sloan, and we all looked at each other and said, like, he's not long for the world, yeah. because, because you can't fix a cultural problem with people who are multi-decade people who've been part Within of that culture. culture. Yeah. So I think what this is exactly what Boeing did, and I suspect that Monberg is going to be gone. I mean, just He's going to have to be, because if anything comes out more about what they knew and when they knew it, the buck has to stop with okay, the Okay, so quick question. Mm-hmm. Mullenberg is out. What does the stock do? Up, down? I guess. Wait, is, is Donahoe going to go there? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you know, no. Kevin Plank. Yeah. No, oh, I, yeah. I don't know. That's a good question because I think, uh, I mean, up until very recently, I think his, his tenure there had been secure. Right. Right? So I don't know. I guess it depends on who they get. But I think more than, more than who's in the CEO chair, it's when do they get that plane flying. Right. Okay. Yeah. Coming up, a big move for Biogen. The stock soaring today. We'll, t- we'll uh, break down what's behind this big move and later what you can expect out of Tesla when it reports results tomorrow. Stay with us. Fast Money. Be right back. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Biogen posting its best day since 1999 following a surprise announcement on its Alzheimer's drug. Let's get to Meg Terrell back at headquarters with all the details. Meg, this is such a crazy story. It really is, Mel. It was a shocking about face for Biogen seven months after the company's stock cratered on the news that it was halting development of its lead Alzheimer's drug, which is called aducanumab. Biogen said further data suggests the drug actually does work, and it plans to file for FDA approval early next year. So what changed? Well, Biogen got more data on more patients. In March, when it stopped development, it had data up to December 2018 on about 1,750 patients. In analyses it did since then, it got more information, about 2,060 patients. And what's more, Biogen said more of those patients were on a higher dose of the drug. So all told, the new analyses show one of the trials met its goals, slowing the cognitive declines associated with Alzheimer's. Still, a second trial failed. And though Wall Street is clearly cheering the news, the stock has come back from its initial high. And the second take sell-side notes are starting to betray some of the ingrained skepticism when it comes to Alzheimer's drug development. From Brian Scorney over at Baird, quote, if you torture the data long enough, it will confess to anything. Stephen Seedhouse at Raymond James says, quote, we don't think this plan is going to work and assign a 0% probability of success to aducanumab in Alzheimer's. Still, of course, the news gave a big boost, not just to Biogen, but the whole IBB biotech ETF today. And given how many people have Alzheimer's disease, almost 6 million Americans, and the fact that no drugs are approved to slow its course, this could be a major product for Biogen, not to mention the hope, of course, it brings to patients with the disease. And we'll talk about all of these questions and more with Biogen. Biogen CEO Michelle Venatsis tomorrow morning at 7.30 on Squawk Box. Mel. So, Meg, let's be clear. Um, the data that they submitted to the FDA, which, which basically led them to, to conclude that it was a failure, was only done through December 2018. It collected more data, so it, it conducted additional studies, or those studies were already in process, and they collected those data and analyzed them. So when they ran this so-called futility analysis, Mm -hmm. the data they had were up to December of last year. They decided in March to stop the trials. And 
as of that point, they had more data um, and they stopped them at that point. Um, and since then, they've analyzed that further data and they've had a lot of conversations with the FDA and said today, those conversations said, the FDA said it's reasonable to potentially file early, early next year, which is what they're going to do. Whether that actually leads to a successful approval, people are starting to question. Meg, it's Karen. Let me ask you something. You talked about some improvement. How significant was that? How, how was that measured? So they have different measures of cognition and things like that. Um, on one of the measures in one of the trials, they saw a 23% improvement versus placebo in those cognitive declines. These are things like being able to think clearly, remember things. Um, they also said there were improvements on uh, daily functions uh, just in regular life, being able to get around and do things around the house and, and things like that. Um, so that was significant, um, and it was statistically significant in one of the studies. The other study, it wasn't. They said a subset of patients on a higher dose um, did show it worked. Whether all of that together will convince the FDA is going to be the question. And for the other drug companies, which other drug companies have drugs that had been declared failures, Alzheimer's therapies, um, that are based on the same sort of mechanism, attacking the plaque in the brain? The list is so long, Mel. I mean, Eli Lilly was a major one. Uh, Pfizer used to be in the space. Roche Genentech, Merck. Um, I talked with Biogen today about this idea this, of tacking amyloid uh, plaque buildups in the brain and whether this means that that hypothesis is, is right. And they said... They think it is, obviously, and they say the other drugs maybe didn't hit it correctly. They didn't um, hit it well enough. They weren't getting into the brain well enough. So they have ways of explaining why those drug trials didn't work where theirs, they say, does. Right. Uh, Meg, thank you. Thanks. Meg Terrell back at headquarters. Well, I mean, we've, we've been saying for a while now, and it's lagged, but we've been saying a while, Biogen's just too cheap. And obviously, this is the headline. We're not bearing, this is the lead, this news. And the fact that the FDA didn't shut them down and there's a pathway is very encouraging. But then look at their earnings release. I mean, they had a fantastic quarter. They had $9.17 EPS. The street was, I think, at 8.30. They beat on the revenue side. They have many other drugs. And at nine and a half times forward earnings, even with the move today, I will say once again, Biogen's too cheap. I was disappointed with how it sort of sold off late in the day. I understand that. I don't think you can attach, though, to that. Was it the Raymond James analyst? I don't want to vindicate or, or, or criminalize the wrong person. But 0% probability? How can you attach a 0% probability to anything but death? which is inevitable for all of us. Or taxes. Or taxes. Coming up, Lyft getting a big lift, as the company says. It's racing towards profitability. So could this start of a bigger U-turn? Could this be the start of a bigger U-turn for the stock? We'll debate that. Plus, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the Hasbro CEO after shares of the toy maker tumbled on earnings. That full interview coming up, top of the hour on Mad Money. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Lyft taking off today. The stock soaring almost 7% on a report that the company believes it will be profitable by the fourth quarter of 2021. And that is about a year earlier than what analysts had expected. Shares of Uber also getting a boost on the news, up as high as 5% on today's session. Both stocks still down since their IPO. So it's a turnaround insight for these rideshare companies. Grasso. I think Uber has a lot more levers, as Wilf would say, to pull. But all of these stocks... Because they have, they're in, they have their hand in a bunch of different businesses. Oh, I was going to say levers to be not profitable. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> that's true, too. You can look at it that way. But I think if you, have to, if you have to choose between 
one or the other. It will be Uber. But I think a large extent of this has been the reaction that we've seen in the stock price. So when you start talking about technicals, people are playing these for a bounce. And I'm not sure you're ripe for a bounce in a lot of these names that possibly could never become profitable as a whole. It depends on the environment that you're investing in. Because yeah, Uber, Uber has so many businesses, should it have been up 3.5%? Well, I, I don't really know what Uber should. It's a sentiment trade, but I disagree with Steve. I'm not telling you he's going to be wrong about Uber. I just think when you think about Lyft is that if you're talking about more rational pricing, if this is not a Hail Mary. They're not looking out two years and saying this. They see something in North American rideshare. They see something about more rational pricing. That is only where they are focused. That's why I like this story so much better than Uber. Uber may work, too. But not anytime soon from a profitability standpoint. Lyft is telling you that they have a way to get there. And every quarter when they show incremental progress, the stock should grow into this valuation better. All right, moving on. Investors are gearing up for Tesla. The company reports results tomorrow after the bell. So what's the options market expecting for the electric car maker? Let's get in the action with Realm Capital founder. Roger DeSilva. Roger, good to see you again. Good to see you as well, Melissa. So what is the options market telling you about the move? Well, it's implying about an 8% move, which is about typical. I'd say it's probably smack in the range of you know 8 to 10% where it typically moves. However, last quarter it dropped about 15%, so I think people are gearing up for that as well. So did the options market last quarter get it wrong? They definitely <laughs> priced it wrong, that's for sure. Okay. Well, how are you interpreting the action that you're seeing? Well, it just seems that uh, a bunch of calls traded uh, last week. Uh, the Nov 230 traded, uh, rolling up to the Nov 280s. So what they're saying there is, you know, locking in some profits, but positioning for some, some more upside. Mm-hmm. Dan, were you watching this at all? Yeah, so I think what Roger makes a really good point is that that implied move is pretty high right now. It's been basically moving that sort of percentage. And, you know, after the stock has had a big run like that, you may want to think about buying calls if you're looking for that long exposure. Because if you get it wrong, it's going 10% the other way. But the point is really important here. Buying short-dated calls in a stock like Tesla with implied volatility is elevated. It is. It's a tough road to hoe. Exactly. And you're looking for a big move. Um, you know, I'm a fan of Elon Musk, what he's done. And, you know, I love the cars. A buddy of mine owns a Tesla. They rave about it. Okay? Love the cars. Love Elon. I don't, I don't love the stock. Right. Uh, Guy, what do you make of production? Well, you and I actually remember we went on a test drive. We did. We drove the Model we, S. We you drove the Model S. I rode in that I, Model I did not S allow you to, if you recall. Because <laughs> you don't have a license. Not that I, I have a license. Uh, I have a license. We went to Cheesecake Factory that day, too. I thought that driver. <laughs> no, I had nothing to do. It has nothing to do with women talk about, okay. Will you talk about the gap from last quarter? Because we kind of got back there, right? We got back Thank there. You, we filled the gap. Shorts <laughs> covered. I think... You know, the Hail Mary has been the, the China situation. Maybe they can salvage something there. I think they're taking people's eye off the ball. If you made me bet, if you made me do would you rather higher or lower, Ooh, I think this that's stock. a good game. It is a good game. Good game. Higher or lower? Would you rather lower? I mean, how does it work? Would you rather lower tomorrow? Well, the stock, the stock has been up. It's been on a tear, so it could be the positioning into that. It's already up 18 20% from recent lows. Still a 25% short interest in this. Fundamentals are not what you buy this stock for. You buy it for growth and a bigger vision. But I think you could have front-loaded a lot of that positioning into this print. So on guys' uh, bet, higher or lower, I would go lower as well. Yeah, Karen? 
Well, I think Dan didn't you have on a put spread last time? Yeah, yeah, like a what? Well, no, but I, I think the point. I think put spread. I thought was an interesting. Yeah, point. I think these guys make a really good point, though. We already know the deliveries, right? And yeah. they were slightly disappointed. So yeah. we know that margins. They're having a hard time making this car particularly profitable. This is the Model Three, right? Uh, so you know, to me, I think you got back up to the level. You filled in that gap. If you're long stock, you maybe think about selling calls against it. Implied volatility, the price of options very high. Take in some yield, or consider a put spread or a collar to protect that long position if you want to stay long. Roger, thank you. Good to see Thanks. you, Roger De Silva. Appreciate it. All right, for more options action, tune into our full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up next, we've got the final trades. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have a lot of after-hours movers that will be watching in tomorrow's session. Chipotle uh, coming in with better-than-expected numbers. The guidance was pretty much in line. Snap, uh, there you have it, down 3.5%. Texas Instruments, though, is down 10%. Um, Guy Dami. Which one are you looking at in terms of the biggest repercussions? I think the most important one for the broader market, in my opinion, clearly is Texas Instruments. I think that has far-reaching ramifications. CMG is CMG-specific. Snap, we can talk about for a while. But Texas Instruments and what it means to industrials, autos, Dan, some of the other tech names is vitally important. So Texan is the answer to that question. Yeah, by the way, we'll be watching Nike, of course, uh, getting a new CEO service now, losing its CEO so much to track tomorrow. Final trade time, Grasso. Uh, unfortunately, Texan is probably going to take the overall market down. But Snap, I'm looking for that to turn green tomorrow. Maybe a little help from the semis, uh, hopefully. But Snap, I'm still on it. Karen. Yeah, we've had an extraordinary run in banks. I think taking a little bit of money off the table, selling some upside calls in Bank America is probably a good thing to do. Dan. Yeah, so I agree with everything Guy said about Texas Instruments, and I just think that because of that focus on cyclicals and what's driving the SMH right now, I think you can sell SMH on rallies for the next couple months. Game. Game one of the World Series, not featuring the New York Yankees, as you know, but Slumberger up again today, SLB. All right, we'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.